Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, hello, hello. I'm your guest preacher. Although more like the guest who won't go away, I've been a member of this uh, cathedral parish for five years now. So anyway, I'd like to begin my remarks in the worst possible way. with a disclaimer. The beginning of this sermon is actually a piece of a sermon that I picked up somewhere along the way. I preach in three different churches, semi-regularly, anytime a priest wants to go somewhere else. So, I don't think I've used it here, <laughs> but that's my disclaimer, it's a story of three classmates and their cunning plan. It takes place in France in the late 1930s. You see, their plan was to make fun of the old priest who heard confessions every Saturday afternoon. You know, in the private confessionals small private confessionals along the nave of the church. The plan was this, so simple, so beautiful, they thought. They would approach the old man's confessional one by one and confess whatever their pubescent minds could think up. Just let that sink in for a moment. These were outlandish, near impossible, and most possibly vaguely criminal things. Well, it just sounded wonderful. The first boy went into the confessional. He knelt down, he reeled off his list. The old man heard what he had to say and while he was mildly shocked, he offered words of counsel. He pronounced the penance and absolution. A while later, the second boy entered. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And his list, well, was even more grotesque. Now, by this point, the old priest was smelling a rat. But being a holy and dutiful disciple, he offered counsel, penance, and absolution. Finally, it was the third boy's turn, and the priest was more than a little peeved when he heard the adolescent start his rant. He stopped the boy, and instead of offering words of encouragement, absolution, he assigned the boy a task. Young man, this is your penance. When you leave this confessional, I want you to go left. You'll find a few yards away an altar rail. 
Behind that rail is the sanctuary, the altar itself, the tabernacle. If you lift your eyes, you will see a large crucifix, which is suspended above these items. I want you to stand before this image, and I want you to repeat three times. Jesus, I know you died for me, but I don't give a damn. Well, he was caught off guard, but the boy made his way to the center aisle and slowly approached the cross with its depiction of the suffering Lord. And he repeated what the old priest told him to say. Jesus, I know you died for me and I don't give a damn. He paused. No one else was near. So he said a second time, Jesus, I know you died for me, but I don't give a damn. But something was off. His heart raced. He began to sweat. Tears filled his eyes. He tried to say the words a third time, and he found he was mute. This story was shared decades later. And the conclusion was, Ordinands, I know this story is true. It is not sermon fodder. I know it's true because I was that young man. Now, who spoke these words? The Cardinal Archbishop of Paris. What is it about the power, the promise? What is it that draws us again and again to the Christ? Surely a clue is found in chapter 13 of our gospel today. It is his profound teaching. Matthew was written about AD 90, at a time when the world just seemed to be exploding. Jerusalem had been sacked. The holy temple, the place of sacrifice, was razed, destroyed, left a smoldering heap. Jews and Jewish Christians were increasingly estranged, forcing the nascent church, the followers of Jesus, to establish a separate identity, calling themselves true Israel, true Jerusalem. Along the way, they encountered non-Jews and welcomed them, charting a new way between Judaism and its ethical demands and Gentile notions. based on Jesus and his teachings. 
Jesus taught in parables. Now they are so familiar to us that we may think we know what they're about. Oh, we know those, they're short stories, they're like the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son. Yeah, we know how Jesus teaches, we know that. But our familiarity may in fact be our problem. Jesus' teachings are profound. Some are not stories. Many are not agreeable. Most are complex. And a good percentage, they produce more confusion than understanding. For as Martin Luther put it, God seems to prefer left-handed power to right-handed power. Right-handed power being logical, plausible, a straight line. Left-handed power, paradoxical. Power that writes straight with crooked lines or as one person put it, intervention that seems indistinguishable from non-intervention. Jesus has questionable characters like unjust judges, savage kings, tipsy slave owners, good Samaritans, unfair employers and the like to speak of God's kingdom, reminding us, instructing us once again that God is the God of surprises. In his kingdom, a surprising place, a hidden, mysterious place. Mark 4, 34, 33 and 34 says Jesus would not speak to people other than by using parables, saving his clearer teachings for his disciples when they were alone. You and I began our most recent journey with the parables last week, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, both present in God's kingdom. Today, several other short sayings, small parables, they, like last week, are meant to illustrate the kingdom. The words of Emily Dickinson, however, they tell the truth, but they tell it slant. Rarely head on. A common feature concerning the kingdom is just how mysterious it is. It's hidden, you know, said Jesus, like a mustard seed. It's like yeast in dough, like treasure in a field. Not easily seen, hard to find sometimes, hard to be detected. And yet, and this is maybe the greatest paradox, this kingdom of God has been with us since the dawn of creation, since the holy breath started all this. 
with Abraham, with Moses, with the Israelites as they fled Pharaoh, recognizing in manna and a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire, even, says 1 Corinthians, a spiritual rock which followed them. And that spiritual rock, said St. Paul, was Christ. It is God's left-handed power at work. It is not something we cause, and here's the good news, it's not something we can kill, even with our worst actions. It's like yeast. It's in and through everything. Think about the volume of that parable about the female baker, female baker. She's mixing up three measures. That's a bushel of flour, 128 cups, 16 five-pound bags, 42 cups of water. And guess what you get? You get 101 pounds of dough. This is not a scone. This is not a little tea cake. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. So pervasive is this kingdom. So on every side that it catches wheat and tares. It catches fish of every kind as a dragnet might. My question is, are we prepared for what Jesus has to say instead of what we think we hear? Jesus' teaching, after all, is whole cloth with his wife. Think of the enacted parables in themselves, his death and resurrection being a profound left-handed kingdom event par excellence. Jesus is the scribe bringing us treasure new and old speaking God's left-handed kingdom, which surrounds us all. We keep returning. We keep coming back. He taught in parables. Amen.